I don't know about the hottest spot in Totnes, <laughs> but uh, I have been refle- reflecting that uh, I feel really quite happy. And uh, doesn't mean to say there isn't lots of uh, challenges and difficulties and <coughs> painful experiences in my life. <coughs> but uh, it's really been... I feel wonderful what uh, can be generated amongst human beings. But just a week ago, this time, I guess that we, for most of us, some who are already here, but most of us rolled in to <laughs> Guy House with all of our various expectations. And we might have had the idea that... Uh, we're making our way through the retreat, either cruising or struggling or limping or crawling <laughs> or hurtling into chasms of fire or finding ourselves on gushes of emotion and, and there's been uh, tears and laughter and boredom and sleepiness and resistance and not liking and liking. It made me feel like we're going through all that. But on some level it's kind of, uh, at least the more I do this practice and you get a feeling for your heart space, on some level it all is appearing and dissolving back into the same place. I mean, Last Friday and the beginning of the retreat came and dissolved and then the Saturday and the kind of Sunday and all the different dramas and moods that we all went through. Busy going somewhere and yet, you know, we, we're doing this curious journey of, of a journey more and more to that place where we've always been. I mean, that's quite a paradoxical journey. But a journey, a movement, a sort of movement, which is a very subtle movement movement to to where we've always been, which is which isn't kind of just grasping some kind of intellectual idealistic idea of the eternal. But that somehow this journey is about connecting. I hope somehow I'll get around to helping explain why I feel happy. <laughs> but, uh, but it seems to me essentially we have, in, in some sense, been just focusing on connecting and just how disconnected, unconsciously disconnected we can be as a world, as a culture, as individuals. We can be disconnected from really the earth, from our bodies, from our emotions. And we can think we're connected, but oftentimes when, when, when we're disconnected or when we're disconnected, we're, 
we're mesmerized by our, our all these thoughts and views and opinions and thinking we're connecting with the world when we're connecting with all kind of projections of, uh, of desires and likes and dislikes and images and and yet I say unconsciously disconnected because there isn't even any, any consciousness of it. How much real connection when we're in that state is there with with what thought really is? When we're in that state, are we really connected to form, to the body? Have we really felt the earth? And are we connected to the heart? You know, are we really connected to that uh, that aspect of being which is intelligent, which is listening, which is awake. And I think I've been really, really heartened and pleased and encouraged and stimulated and challenged at uh, how much people, all of us, have given our efforts to this, to this, uh, to this activity of uh, starting to touch down, you know, starting to just, uh, you know, really touch the world. We got all kinds of ideas about wanting maybe to be happy or wanting to be at peace or wanting this and that, but, you know, I want to be at peace with the world, and yet we haven't even touched the world to actually make the effort to stay with our body. Stay with the breath. And just to begin to notice how much we're kind of absorbed in restlessness. It's a painful recognition to start coming into contact with our restlessness. Or coming in contact with our moods. And to actually practice, as we did those first few days, uh, some conscious disconnection. That's very different from being unconsciously disconnected. Conscious disconnection, consciously realizing I'm glued to this this thinking machine up here, believing everything, and actually consciously learning how to to let go, let go, and consciously learning how to sustain connection, sustain a sense of being with the earth, the breath, the body, and, and through staying consciously connected also in the same instant, learning to be connected to the heart, to that which listens, to that which is aware. Uh, I've already, both of us have already said lots of words. But we've, we've actually been doing it, and I think I feel that, I feel that sense of the wholeheartedness with which each of us you know, I've really got a warm feeling feeling of support from uh, this group really feel good about that as we as we contact some of our uh, struggles, some of our pain some of our anguish make space for it, feel it listen to it We learn to make contact with the refuge, these steady places, 
of listening to the truth in making contact with uh, the friendship of uh, of this supportive environment. Well, I think it gives me a lot of hope for uh, the possibilities of of our own transformation, transformation of our families and our world. Today we've been, you know, working with uh, we've been working with several kinds of contact. Contact with making contact with the heart through letting go, getting a sense for that spacious, empty core of our being, and also today working with with making contact with with each other, with all the movements, all the beings, all the voices, all the spaces, all the forms of this life, through welcoming, through kindness practice. I've been very encouraged by the the discussions, the kind of willingness for us all just to try to make our own sound (coughs) to share our truth and to receive each other that really feels important I can't really put it into words but I've just felt so much sense of good feeling yeah I'm not at the moment in an eloquent mood but I, I feel good feeling and I know that there's something really significant in being able to hear each other and be able to and being able to hear each other comes from being able to hear to make contact to be able to hear the body to be able to hear the breath to be able to hear our thoughts to be able to hear our moods then, then we're in contact and we can see the suchness we can see what's needed we can in in, 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 in in receiving aware in awareness and consciousness then then things can come into balance. And then we can receive each other, and then we can hear each other. And we can uh, learn in a trusting space to make our own sound and we can communicate and somehow that in that dynamic change can happen, good change can happen. You know, teaching the Buddha gave called the Mangala Sutra, which means the discourse on blessings, the great blessings of life. Mangala is a word that kind of means super blessing or a good omen or something like that. And so once the Buddha was sitting somewhere and supposedly a radiant being came down and and asked him a question and then he gave a discourse to the radiant being and also to everyone else around so you can take that or leave that part I don't have a problem with that but uh, you know you might think well what's the Buddha going to say what's the greatest blessing and some of us might think uh, winning the lottery now that you might get 10 million pounds or something or you might have said uh, having uh, Jupiter on your midheaven having your uh, 
We're having a who knows something or other. But the the teaching that the Buddha gave is a, is a great uh, source of inspiration for me in, uh, in thinking about this evening on and how I've been struggling to find some words. The the first stanza that the Buddha gave was a sevana chabalanang pandita nancha sevana puja chapuchaniyanang etam mangalamuttamang. I really love the Pali language. And uh, the first line is a sevana chabalanam don't uh, seek out no. Please don't react too quick. I'm very defensive. <laughs> he says, "Don't seek out foolish people." Now, uh, I'll come back to that line. <laughs> and uh, but to learn to seek out or associate with uh, wise people. Pudja to pudjaniyanang. Learn to praise that which is worthy of praise. Etamangalamuttamang, this is greatest blessing. And this, you know, he's, you know, he's not saying, I don't think, you know, to kind of look down our noses at who we think is uh, foolish and keep away from them and think, oh, I'm wise and I'm going to be with the wise people and do that. I don't think that's what he's getting at. <laughs> But I think he is saying, and this is what I've been struggling to try to say tonight, there is such a thing as community or, or contact with other beings that can be nourishing, that can actually help, that can actually point us in a good direction. And there is such a thing as uh, friendship or hanging out with we're not just talking about people. Might even be hanging out with mind states and attitudes, or befriending wholesome states. But there's some kind of friendships that we can set up that just take us down, down into what you know, take us into more confusion, take us into more suffering, take us into more states of being disconnected and alienated and, and, and living in dream worlds. And, and, and then we can just look at some of the levels of horror that we generate through unwholesome friendship. In fact, once the uh, this attendant that the that uh, Mary was talking about tonight, the Buddha's attendant Ananda, once in one of his exuberant enthusiastic moments. I guess he was feeling kind of what, if he was more exuberant than me tonight, I was sort of feeling this good feeling of the specialness of the specialness. Just of the richness of having the human contact that I felt this week. Anyway, in his exuberant moment, Ananda said, Lord Buddha, the Kalyanamita, wholesome friendship is 50% of the holy life, isn't it? 50%. And uh, must be half the holy life. And then the Buddha, in this kind of 
he always has them singing kind of dry things and he says say not so Ananda say not so <laughs> you know you know Ananda thinking oh my god I said something wrong <laughs> you know and he says Ananda wholesome friendship is the whole of the holy life it's the whole of the holy life you know that's amazing now sometimes that can be we might get depressed about that and we say oh my god (laughs) and we kind of start looking around and we're just saying look I'm out of here and you tell all these other people and start looking the world around for a kind of a wise person or we might get really depressed if we think that there isn't uh, good friendship around but then the Buddha goes on and sometimes this next part is, is not is not mentioned that much the Buddha goes on to say how important it is to befriend the eightfold path to befriend these wholesome factors you know, to befriend right view, seeing things as they are, to to, to befriend right effort, uh, to befriend right intention, learning to just kind of learn to sense what's moving us. Is it cruelty that's moving us? Is it greed that's moving us? Is it just a habit that's moving us? Or is there some kind of noble aspiration, some kind of desire to see? Or, or is it just wanting to blot out? You know, to, to start connecting and noticing and, then, and realizing we have this incredible choice, we can befriend. We we can choose our friends. We can we can decide what we befriend in our life, and we can actually befriend, as we did today, kindliness. We can befriend kindliness, the willingness not to contend, but the willingness to try to to receive, to try to understand, to try to be patient with can do that we can befriend good speech we can befriend you know good actions we can befriend uh, virtue meaning learning we can even befriend learning how to say no and, and sensing I, I don't want to say that I don't want to do that we can actually befriend this power in ourselves it's not an evil power, not a bad power. We, we, we can befriend the capacity just to say, I don't want to engage with that. The Sri Lankan guru I know, who I like very much, we call him Guruji, and he used to say to me, cause, and others, because I'm not very good at saying no, and he says, Venable? You've got to learn how to say no and smile. (laughs) (laughs) To be able to befriend that. To befriend right action, right effort. To befriend the, the capacity that we have to sense that something's harmful, as I was just saying, and to be patient with it or to so that it can be transformed or to, or to sense to befriend that quality in us that can sense that something's good and then to encourage that I, I hope that we will we, we will befriend silence you know times in our life of, of pausing learn to make that a friend 
to befriend pausing, to befriend recollecting this is how it is. What an incredible friend it is to be able just to remind ourselves this is how it is now. In the middle of all the kind of stuff, in the sense that we've done something wrong, or the sense that someone else has done something wrong, or kind of all the stuff that can happen, and just to be able to say, this is how it is. Be able to hear the changing nature, the such nature of all the voices, all the urgencies, all the fears. And that little befriending of this is how it is can remind us of the perfection at the heart of it. The relief of still might not be a very great situation. But when our heart knows it for what it is, we also touch that peaceful center, that which doesn't die. And then from that peaceful center that's in contact with how it is, not just glued to some kind of compulsion or some sort of desperate worry. From that befriending of a movement toward resting in this is how it is, then in feeding the situation there's an opportunity for our response to be more coming from truth rather than just coming from bias. Befriending the breath, befriending kindness practice. And also befriending the living, breathing beings who who have a spark <coughs> in in their hearts, in our hearts that want to want to work with things. Because from a living, breathing friend, we can, you know, with each other, we can, uh, we see someone and they can remind us. And I, and I find just in being together and being in these groups and hearing people talk and just watching people be patient with stuff and watching people feel like they failed at stuff but then start again and all the kind of, I don't know, I just find it encourages me, encourages me to keep going. That's very, that's the, the blessing of Sangha. Not to underestimate the transforming power of, a, of the smallest good thing that we do when we befriend goodness, when we befriend the path. Just not to underestimate the power of the slightest good thing that we do. We heard about, you know, the Buddha's uh, kindness uh, melting down an elephant so that he bowed. I mean, that maybe seems beyond us. But we're all capable of some really beautiful things that make a difference, little gestures. And we've seen that since we've been here, just like the gestures of the managers and how they've really supported us and uh, worried about us with the water offer this lovely food for us every day, the gestures of those people who've made this facility come alive so that we can 
been here? Somebody's gestures of keeping lovely flowers on the shrine? Even the little gestures that sometimes one feels vulnerable about, but the gestures of, of sharing our spirit in the discussions? These all can make a make a difference. And I think we underestimate the transforming power of uh, of little gestures. I look back in my my life, and I can look at a few little things that have at the time didn't seem that important, but I just realized, gosh, this law of cause and effect, this law of karma, you know, is is really kind of powerful. I don't know if you'd be very impressed with this gesture, but it was uh, um, back when I was uh, a champion wrestler. Uh, I was the captain of our team. This is when I was, I guess I was eight, 18 years old. So I was in the 126-pound class. So I'd already won the national tournament the year before. And I had already won the Mid-South Championship four times. And I, I went on to win it again that next year, too, but I hadn't at this particular time. And so we were going to wrestle this school across town called... Um, uh, our French wasn't good in those days, and so this school was called Notre Dame. <laughs> it was a Catholic school. People over at Notre Dame. And... Uh, but Notre Dame was actually quite, quite progressive and quite, quite advanced for Chattanooga, Tennessee. As you might might be aware, Chattanooga, Tennessee is not not known. The South is not known for its open-mindedness and <laughs> liberality. And I, I went to a boys' prep school called Baylor, and there was another rival school called Macaulay. And these were all white schools, so they, it was uh, kind of segregated. And there's a lot of racial uh, tension in the South, a lot of prejudice against the uh, the black African Americans. And uh, you know, the South was working and trying to change, but it hadn't gotten into our school really much yet. And anyway, uh, Notre Dame was an, an integrated school, so it had uh, mixed students. And the captain of their wrestling team was an African-American young black man named, named Jerome White. <laughs> and I didn't know Jerome White yet. And, uh, but I got a note sent to me that was handed to me uh, a day or a few days before the match from across town. And, just, and it just said, I'm going to kick your butt. <laughs> so, forgive that, but I, I hope it gets across the kind of feeling. And um, so, you know, guys, thinking, I first had to find out, you know, who this was. And, and I 
So anyways, you can imagine in these kind of scenes, they're pretty intense. You've got a big wrestling mat in the middle of a gym with a few thousand crazy screaming people all around. So there's just this hole in the center that you can kind of wrestle in. And one side is screaming their guts out for one guy and the other side for the other guy. <laughs> and we all, of course, had uniforms on and I had my red and gray um, Baylor uniform. And I was 126-pound class, so there was about 10 or 12, I can't remember how many, on a team. And so you start from the small guys and you go up to the heavyweights. So I think the 98-pounders were out first and then the 105 and 115, I think it was about the fourth match or something like that. We were the two captains, and um, I can't remember who was winning or losing. In other words, who won the first few? But it was a—I mean, the place just was just a den of stuff. Anyway, we got out there, and at first the referee's there, and, and he says, "Shake hands," and he says, "I want a clean match," and, 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 then, he, and he blows the whistle, poof, and then you're supposed to start. Okay, so we're starting there, and there's me and Jerome, and then all these kind of people. And the first thing is Jerome comes up and hits me in the head. <laughs> now, in wrestling, you're not supposed to do that. If it was boxing, you can do that, but not in wrestling. You're not supposed to hit people in the head. It's, and so anyway, uh, I, kind of, I must have looked like that, and then the referee stopped the match and said, you can't do that. You're not supposed to hit someone in the head or something. And so anyway, you can imagine how the place was heating up, and our guys were saying, kill him, kill him. And and so then, um, then we started wrestling. Started doing this and that, and he was he was stronger than I was, really strong. And uh, he he then you see you first start up standing, and then he dived in for what's called a takedown. And um, can't really demonstrate it. I don't <laughs> but anyway, if you imagine. Uh, Peter standing there. Imagine if I'm going in after him, <laughs> and I'm Jerome. He went in with his his elbows out, and that's not a good thing to do. He went in like this, and so he was going to knock me down, take me down. And so I had the chance to do a really flashy move <laughs> that was lucky. But he went in like this, and so. Uh, <laughs> if, if, if he was going in like that and leaves an elbow out, what I can do is catch his momentum and do a spectacular kind of throw. And uh, he ends up on his back and I end up on top of him. And uh, so you can imagine, and, and, and that's a wrestler's dream because if, if you get somebody on their back, you've got two points for a takedown. You've got at least three points for getting them close to their back, so you're up five to nothing already. And he's on his back, so he's got to work his neck like you won't believe to get off his back, which is really tough going. And so meanwhile, you're on top of him resting, kind of saving your strength. And uh, uh, so, you know, I was kind of pretty happy about that. And of course, the stands are going wild. Just, just they're all kind of yelling, pinning, 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 which means kind of put his shoulder blades on the mat for one second. And... Um, Anyway, that's all happening. I'm feeling pretty good about being ahead five to nothing. And and then I, I noticed this searing pain in my uh, rib cage. And I think, God, what's that? And I thought, he's biting me. <laughs> <laughs> and, 
and this isn't the kind of wrestling you see on television where you can hit people with chairs and this and that and you can <laughs> bite people's ears off. But, you know, this is kind of like the kind of wrestling where you don't do that. You know, there's rules and all this sort of stuff. And I'm feeling this kind of pain. I think, God, me. So then I got this, what's called this half Nelson on him, and I just think, God, I got mad. I'm trying to pin this guy. So anyway, <laughs> so I started pushing harder to keep his shoulders down on the mat. And, and, you know, he was biting me. And, I said, <laughs> and then suddenly the referee goes, like that. And you can hear that sound forever because these mats really reverberate. And, you know, and, and then the place just went wild because when you've pinned the guy, your team gets five points, which is a lot. And, and you know, that's a big thing to pin somebody. <laughs> and, and, you know, and so the place just goes wild. <laughs> and, you know, and then, and then... Um, and, and and without thinking of the consequences, I mean, I just stood up, and, and, and you know, first I'm wondering, what's just going on here in my ribcage? So, so I pull my thing back, and you see these teeth smarts, and kind of some blood coming out. I think, God, it's a baby. And then uh, Jerome said to me, you want to fight? Let's go, let's go back and fight. And, and so then, you know, then, then a, a kind of, black wave starts to move off the other stands and, and it looks like we're going to have a riot here and then and then my coach who's over six foot tall and he's a he's a giant wrestling coach he comes he comes lumbering out there towering way over me and puts his head hand on my head and starts screaming anybody touches this boy and i start swinging <laughs> And I mean, it was really intense feeling because it looked like there's going to be. So anyway, I got, uh, you know, and the referees all there, my coach is there, and, and I got kind of whisked away, and their coach whisked Jerome away, and we all kind of went back, and then they, you know, they kind of tended to my cut and everything. And, and then, uh, and you know, there was a real, in, in the South, there was a way worrying about a race riot because, I mean, the South is, is bad for, for prejudice and and just things blowing up out of control. And, and I started thinking, you know, I don't like having an enemy. And I, and so I said to I said to my coach while they were kind of fixing my thing, and meanwhile some other people were still out there wrestling, I said, you know, I'd like to go and see him. I said, uh, you know, and coaches don't be ridiculous. You can't do that. You, know, you get beat up or you get something happens to you. I can't remember exactly how it was, but I kept asking him. I said, look, you know, I really think I don't like having an enemy. And uh, so, you know, I really would like to go talk to him. And so my coach gave me permission. And so meanwhile, you know, the thing is still kind of going on. And you have one side and the other side, you know, which is really intense. And um, uh, I had to then walk over to the other side of the in through all the kind of crowd of people who are still screaming about stuff and and uh, I finally got up to close to where Jerome was and uh, you can imagine there was pretty weird feeling and I said uh, I can't remember what my first words were something like well how you doing and he said uh, he says I, I don't like to be pinned and I said well I can appreciate that okay. <laughs> Said, but I don't like to be bit. 
And I said, but you know, it was a lucky move that I, I made. I said, you know, you, uh, you want me to show you what you did? I said, you know, it was actually quite lucky. And he kind of got interested. I said, you know, you went in, you, you let your elbow go out a little bit. And so I said, you know, by letting your elbow go out, uh, that allowed me to do a lateral drop, allowed me to get my arm in, and then all your momentum going to me, I can kind of do that. So I kind of uh, showed him that. And um, it was just so nice to see him as a human, and I think for him to see me as a human. And it just diffused the whole situation, you know, and uh, and it's nice to look back in one's life at, you know, a lot of things you did wrong aren't so nice, but it's nice to look back at a, at a few little, little gestures. And then sometime later, years later, I guess four or so years later, that incident ended up allowing to some degree, pretty major degree, probably allowed me to come to this country. Because I was, uh, I was, uh, when I got to Princeton, they'd done really well in the uh, university. And then near the end of my time, they, the university sent me a letter and said, your record's good, you should apply for a Rhodes Scholarship. The university said that, so I sent in the kind of applications, and you had to get people to write some recommendations and stuff like that. And someone had been there during that match and seen that happen. So when I got to the interviews, you know, I got to the final kind of interviews in, uh, for the regionals in the United States. Somebody had uh, written about that, and so this kind of panel, and I didn't really know, and this kind of panel said, uh, all right, what happened in that gym? You know, what happened? So I had a chance to kind of uh, tell the story, and uh, uh, I don't know if that was the only reason, but it sure helped, and uh, I ended up uh, winning the scholarship, got a chance to go to Oxford, and learned a lot there, and also had the good fortune to have my life fall apart there, and and hear about Ajahn Chah, and uh, be able to go to Thailand, and enter a wonderful monastic tradition and, uh, and, and make contact with the Buddhist teachings yeah. and to also um, encounter a radiant being, <laughs> a very wonderful being, and, uh, and it's really nice to be able to look back and, so, and to thank uh, uh, Jerome. <laughs> and uh, and to and to really you know not to underestimate the little gestures any little things that we do and not to immediately assume that things that are, are painful or things that seem wrong or things that seem like they're injustices who do how do we know what's going to come out of them or how we respond to them and when I think back to my wrestling coach, you know, I have a lot of gratitude to him, Major Worsham. He, you know, we're talking about the power of good spiritual friendship. But he used to regularly, after we'd wrestled the team, he'd make us go out and show them everything that we'd done. And I, I remember once there was someone else I had to wrestle in the finals of a tournament and he was a quite tough wrestler. 
you know, I beat him just by two points, two to nothing. And then Major Worsen said, all right, let's go out and show him. I said, Major Worsen, I'm going to have to wrestle this guy again. That was really... You know, if we show them all our stuff. And, and, and Major Worsen said, look, he says, if they get better, then we have to get better. You know, and, and I just look back, and when I was a child, having someone who who was encouraging just me to give, encouraging me to go against and start to question the habits of, of kind of keeping, and in some way, you know, I'm sure the good friends I've had in the past that helped me to, to maybe make that little gesture to, to Jerome. Maybe sometime in the future when I bite somebody, they can make that <laughs> little gesture to me. <laughs> but as you can see, I don't really have any clear, coherent uh, talk this evening. But I do, it did uh, emerge from a, uh, a real sense of You know, I feel heartened by the possibility for for beings to help each other. I feel really good about each and every one here, and I'm grateful for for all of your kind of efforts and um, and just may may we may we cherish good friendship externally. And may we cherish good friendship internally as we can keep befriending the past. And may we um, remember to praise that which is worthy of praise, you know, to so that we can keep setting our course, so that we can keep uh, remembering what is uh, of value to us. And then that, that allows us to connect with our, with our inspiration, with our refuge, with our trust, with our practice, with our truth. And, um, and just may we remember that we all, that we all have to be just who we are. That for some of us, maybe where we need to be at the moment is kind of releasing a lot of emotion and, and really there's a beautiful humility in being able to do that and share that with us, with all of us. But that doesn't mean all of us need to think, gosh, something must be wrong with me if I'm, <laughs> I'm not doing that. It means that we all have to, to or if some, some of us are really peaceful and that's really kind of a, a wonderful discovery for us to be making and where our practice is at to really explore that and go into that. To be inspired by each other, encouraged by each other, and, and, and touching on these universal qualities of awareness and truth, but also realize that each of our uniqueness is going to flower and express itself in its own way, in its own way. And uh, that's what's so... I can't tell you how much I enjoy the discussion group, just to hear each person's sound, just to each person's way, each person's manner. Really, really like that. I really feel there's something so true in that to be able to listen and receive and also be able to make our sound and to offer. And that it's not just a question of trying to kind of be somebody else. 
but it's a, a kind of more and more coming into contact with how things are, with how we are, with listening deeply, and with responding, and, and allowing our nature to unfold, our nature to express itself. I think uh, I've had a lot of pain in this area of not liking who I am or who I felt I was and feeling that I had to be somebody else. And Ajahn Chah helped me a little bit, a lot, but a little bit with that particular thing. I mean, in that story, you know, the other day were about the squirrel where he told two stories. And the squirrel story I really liked and could understand it, but the other story I just couldn't really get at. What's he going on about there? And now the other story is starting to make a little more sense. He told the squirrel story, you know, about patience, and you're going to be able to do it, and I like that bit. And the other story was, he said, well, you know, there was this donkey. <laughs> this donkey. He said, this, he said, this donkey um, uh, really was just enthralled with the, with the beautiful music that crickets make. Just loved that sound. And uh, and so, being a very clever donkey, he uh, he could see that. Uh, let's get to the root of this. And he could see that those crickets were eating dewdrops in the morning. So, so this donkey said, "Right." And he would go around licking dewdrops. Licked a lot of dewdrops. <laughs> then after he had. Uh, Diligently licked a lot of dewdrops. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you know what's going to happen. He took in a deep breath, <laughs> just waiting for the music to come. <laughs> took in a deep breath and went. <laughs> and then Ajahn Chah didn't say anymore. <laughs> and then, uh, I think, I, you know, I was getting translated from Prabhakar. I'm wondering, maybe I missed something. <laughs> Wait a minute, you said there was a donkey and dewdrops and crickets. And I just think, uh, you know, I just think, you know, I just, you know, he was right on with the squirrels, but I don't. <laughs> <laughs> What's he going on about? And it's just slowly dawning on me. I think it's slowly dawning on me in this meta practice that we've got to love our donkey. We've got to, we've got to receive our donkey into the heart and receive our sound into the heart and receive how we are. And yes, we can be inspired by, if we want to be inspired by the crickets, okay, fine. But we've got to work with, with what we've got patiently. And then, and then learn to, learn to, to blossom in our own way. And uh, I might have it wrong, but I think it's something, <laughs> something to do with that. And uh, I think that uh, donkey's efforts are quite uh, lovable. And you know, we we sometimes try to. I think we can, to a certain degree, be inspired by practices and by other people. And but really, I think the best friendship that we can have is the willingness to hear each other, the willingness to set a good example but the willingness not to pin each other down by thinking you've got to be this way and you've got to be that way, but the willingness to, to sort of free each other and to grow and to manifest in our own way. 
And uh, so my prayer is that may we all really blossom in, in just the way that we're capable of. And uh, I get a taste from, from this week that uh, when, we, when we encourage each other in that process, that a lot of light, a lot of healing, a lot of good feeling can happen, which really will be for the welfare of all beings. So I offer this for us to consider this evening. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.